Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Page 952 in the hardback that we're handing out. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to start at verse 12. In just a moment, we'll give you a second to get there. My middle child, Gabriel, he and I were over at Rush Park on Thursday. Favorite haunt of ours. And when I say ours, I mean Gabriel likes it. And I like Gabriel, so I'm there. You know? And there was this, there's this apparatus there that's clearly designed for bigger kids, but good luck telling a three-year-old that it's not for them. <laughs> he went through this tremendous effort to climb off of this plastic pad that's basically at the ground to get up to this next plastic pad where there's a nice big hole where you're supposed to climb up through the hole. And he's so short, and daddy help... Okay, all right. Which is really fun. Daddy help is real cute right after three. No, I do it. No, I do it. Looking around. I do it. I do it. Daddy help. (laughs) If that doesn't preach, I can't help you. That's your Christian life. Okay. So he kind of admits that he's not going to be able to. Daddy help. And so I'm like, okay, well, you you almost got He was almost there. So I said, you hold on to this. And I grabbed his other arm and he got up. And it was like this big gargantuan achievement. He makes it up onto this thing that's about three feet off the ground. And he gets up and gets situated, and then he looks up. And there's another plastic level with a hole in it, and another one, and another one. He is about 20% of the way up this gargantuan climbing structure. I wish I hadn't left my laptop at home this morning, because I took a picture of him right on this thing up close, and then I stepped back, and you could see that... He had put all this effort into getting to the first rung of a ladder, so to speak. Because he looks up and goes, it's higher. (laughs) Our world has put so much energy into sex. We've said we need to have more of it. We've said we need to work on our technique. We've said we needed freedom to have sex with any and all partners. We have said all kinds of things as culture. And God would like to tell us today from his word that in taking sex and stripping it down to a merely physical act, We have divorced ourselves from so many layers of meaning and so many layers of beauty that God intended. There is more for you. Even if you're single right now, there is more for you. Who here, we're going to just be so honest today. Maybe the camera's not even on, who knows. I'm going to ask you to be really honest because my hand's about to go up. Who here is married or used to be married? And there were things about sex that you wish somebody had told you before you got married. Okay? And I'm not talking about technique. I'm just saying, man, I, I was, Emily and I were married, 
one or two years early on in our marriage where we first went to a Family Life Weekend to Remember conference. That conference does such a good job of emphasizing that sex is supposed to be a selfless act, the same way that love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. It's just not about you. And at that conference, they just drill it into your head. It's not about you. It's not about you. And I'm sitting there going, I grew up in church, and I don't feel like anyone ever told me this. Huh. And I'm not saying somebody did something particularly wrong. It's just, all I got when I was in high school is, oh, dear God, don't do it. Don't even look at a girl. Like, it was just like this, eh. Okay. Is that how the Bible approaches sex, though? See, I think God teaches us about all kinds of things that we're not ready for yet. And does that mean that perhaps we could be a blessing and we could receive more blessing because we were listening to our Father ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah. I want to submit to you that if we listen to the cultural definitions of sex, we are patting ourselves on the back for climbing to the first rung of a ladder, and there's so much more. We have stripped the spiritual implications out of sex. We have stripped the relation. We, we ignore the emotional damage. Do, do you know how, you, you won't even be shocked by this. Do you know, demographically, who has the highest divorce rate in America? Who has the highest divorce rate in America? A woman who claims to have had 10 or more sexual partners before her wedding day. You can't build the data off the men because men lie. A woman who self said, I had 10 or more sexual partners before my wedding day, highest divorce rate in America. We are lying to ourselves about the emotional damage that we are unleashing, the relational damage that we are unleashing. So I say all that to say, as we open the word, um, to see what more God has for us, a loving and benevolent God. This isn't in the notes, but did you know he created a man and a woman who were sinless and naked and said, be fruitful and multiply? Guys, you don't need the Greek to, you know, the Hebrew to interpret that. This is not a God who's grumpy and wants to steal your joy. He created sex. He's looking to create joy inside the marriage. He's looking to create joy. So, Let's read the text together. 1 Corinthians 6. Mind you, a lot of time has passed since God created the world. We broke the cosmos and our rejection against him and a lot of our sin, if you've read Leviticus, we sinned in a million different ways and a bunch of them were sexual. And now Paul is trying to pastor this church in Corinth and they're doing some things sexually that even the pagans don't do and he's having to rebuke them and teach them and hey, no, this is what it's all about. Verse 12. His argument is airtight. You say, quote, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though, quote, I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. Did you hear that? and the Lord cares about our bodies. He's addressing people in church that are not just sinning, but they're doubling down on their sins and giving him arguments. Okay? And 21st century, we're actually making this exact same argument. 
It is to say, well, I have sexual desires and sexual organs, therefore those desires all have to be fulfilled. Now, that would be really nice if we were in a sinless world now, wouldn't it? Hmm? We're all grown-ups here. Guys, do you think pedophiles have desires that should not be fulfilled? We're all grown-ups? Okay. There's objective evidence that the Walt Disney theology of follow your heart is nonsense and it is destroying our world. Desire is not the trump card for what ought to be done. It can't be. We all have desire. Anybody here, if you did everything that passed quickly through your head and passed, you'd be a murderer by now? Anybody had a quick, yeah, yeah, not a single child in this world would survive till their first birthday. Child, I kill you. Okay? Every one of us has had horrible fleeting thoughts. Maybe we've stopped and stewed on them for a while. But the reason that society functions is that we don't act on those desires. We'd all be dead. They're giving arguments. Paul, I'm allowed to go do perverse sexual things because I have these sexual desires. Paul disagrees. And he writes Bible, so we listen to Paul. No. Verse 14. And God, not only does the Lord care about our bodies, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Listen to what he just did. He just tied the resurrection. One of the reasons God raised Jesus from the dead is to raise our bodies, those of us who are in Christ, to raise our bodies from the dead. This is how important our bodies are. If you're a part of the church, your physical body means a lot to Jesus, and this is Paul's foundation for why a good sexual ethic is important. Let me draw a straighter parallel. Jesus was raised from the dead for Christians to know how to keep their pants on when they're supposed to. Because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and again, grown adults here, if our bodies are fully submitted to Christ, that also means that as soon as Christians are in the context of marriage, we know when to take our pants off. I listened to a pastor a decade ago say to his church, filled with a bunch of single people, the problem with this church is that you single people are having too much sex, meaning having sex at all, and a bunch of you married folks aren't having enough. Because his whole sermon was talking about the joy that God designed and, and he wanted to encourage, and he started tackling all of the brokenness in our thinking and our emotions in our past that creates barriers to oneness. It was beautiful. It was powerful. So, he ties it directly to the resurrection as to why our bodies are the Lord's. In the middle of 15, should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, huge thought, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you hear what he's saying? You cannot be one spirit with the Lord and do this evil nonsense that the Lord doesn't permit. Don't do it. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That is the most non-American Bible verse by the way. You almost have to check your citizenship at the door to read that one honestly. 
So let's do it again. You, who's the you? Talk to me, church. Christians. He's talking to Christians. Usins. You do not belong to yourself. It's my body. No, it's not. He bought you. For God bought you with a high price. What's the high price, church? Christ gave every drop of his blood on a horrendous cross to ransom you. Because of this high price, the last part of verse 20, so you must honor God with your body. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. So they apparently had sent in a letter saying, hey, is it just better to be single? Let me submit to you an important historical detail. Where, where the pastor is regularly being taken out and stoned to death, and people are running, and who's the pastor now? Well, how long have you been a Christian? Two weeks. How long have you been a Christian? Five days. You're the pastor. Right? That's the persecuted church. You've been a Christian the longest. You have a Bible? Okay, you're the pastor. In that kind of a context, Paul apparently, and he does it somewhat here as well, had instructed them that singleness might very well be wise. And you can hear that as he talks. But he says, because there's so, so much sexual immorality, marriage is a good idea. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us the scriptures today? There's so many things that we just read, God, that we're we disagree with, we're angry about, we're confused by. Um, Lord, we need you. We really need you. There's so many things, God, lies that we've believed our whole life, and uh, we can't really weed them out, Lord. Otherwise, we would have by now. We need the power of your word in the capable hands of your Holy Spirit. That's what we need today, Jesus. So rip the dark things out, God, like a master surgeon, and put in things that are beautiful, Lord, that are life-giving, that honor you, that bless our spouse. God, I pray a special prayer. Um, some of us in the room have been married and don't know if we're going to be married again. And um, Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to those of us that are in that spot today you can feel like a text like this doesn't necessarily matter and yet we all have a role of teaching and encouraging each other and all of the word is good and profitable God I pray for a special blessing for younger folks who have never been married God that somehow today they can hear what is true and beautiful from your word and maybe through testimony, maybe through conversations and four by fours and groups and Bible studies that hear the sound of regret of Christians who are married that would give anything to go back 20 years and change some things. Help us to live, Lord, today out of your hope, out of your mercy, out of 
a victorious Christ who emptied his own grave. Not because we know we cannot out your cross. Your mercies are new every day. Help us to drink in your truth and march forward in victory, even, Lord, if we've known tons of defeat before this point. Give us victory for the glory of your name and the blessing of the church and the world. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. You don't have notes, but if you really, really love taking notes, you want to pull out back of your bulletin or in your phone. I've got three points. And each of these three points is essentially for three different groups of people. Because, you know, when you read a piece of scripture, people can have different problems with it. I'm offended because of this. I'm offended because of that. I disagree with this. So let's start at a really base level. Number one, a Christian's body is owned by God, so God has every right to command the sexual ethics of Christians. I wish I didn't have to say that, right? Wish I didn't have to, but we've got to start with some basics. He not only created me, he ransomed me back by his blood. And as I've tried to say on repeat now for over three years, God loves you more than you love you. And that changes commands, doesn't it? That gives context. When you tell your grandson, hey, you've got to hold my hand when we go through the parking lot, is that a command because you're a, a, a jerk grandmother or a jerk grandfather? Or is that restraint there out of pure love? Right? ARCF Foundation, God loves you more than you ever could love you. That's the foundation under which we have to receive the commands of God. So when God, and he does in Leviticus, when he gives extensive sexual commands, and I buff, uh, buck up against it, I'm just essentially just betraying I don't trust him. I don't believe he exists. I don't believe he's good. I am smarter than him. You know? That's what I'm revealing. If you look at the ingenious design of the male and female body that literally fit together, like, did you and I come up with that? You know what I mean? We didn't come up with that. What's the root word of authority? Where are my English majors at? <laughs> the root word of authority, what's the root word? Author. Yeah, yeah, you were created. Every part of you got opened a blank book, it said chapter one, and he created you. He spoke you into existence and your DNA and RNA work together beautifully and wonderfully made. And an author has authority. If you trust Jesus, that's a beautiful and exciting thing, right? If you don't trust him, you're upset, angry, walk away. No, I'm not doing that. Compartmentalize. I will submit to the Lord in these 17 areas of my life, but this one is mine over here. Right? Doesn't work that way. I mean, we try to make it work that way. Many of you, in fact, I'd say at least half of you, have been to our home. And there is a lovely tree, I'm going to say late March 
through about September. There's a lovely tree on the left side of our driveway. These beautiful pink blossoms that all of you guys get to enjoy with no repercussions. Because you come over for Disciple Group Wednesday night. Maybe you park under that tree. Maybe you park nearby and you get to walk by. You don't have to clean up that tree. That's all I'd like to point out. I'm not bitter. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. That is the messiest tree I've ever seen in my life. I worked grounds crew when I was at Simpson University back in the day. And I have never seen a tree as messy as this one. Because what's really pretty and pink, those little blossoms, the amount of pollen that pours out of that directly onto my already janky 2013 Ford Focus that goes zero to 60 sometimes, this, guys, I'm telling you, there's, there should be a hole in there, Fred Flintstone style, so I could make the thing go faster. It's called a Focus because it has to focus on getting down the road. Don't buy a 2013 Focus. The transmission wasn't working, and we drove it into the Ford dealership, no joke, and the guy looks up at us, oh, transmission? Didn't have to say hello. Transmission, like he just knew. Oh, it's a 2013, it's a transmission. So my already janky car gets baptized, as it were, for five months a year with these pink blossoms that you guys think are so pretty. Your pastor's really screwed up. I'm never coming back. Um, but something happened this last late March, early April. Our landlady called us up and said, Hey, Greg and Emily, I've got bad news for you. My husband and I are moving to Idaho. We need to sell the house. They're like, they're just going to sell everything and get out. And we're like, Ugh, we hate moving. We've moved so much already. We've been in the house less than a year. But it worked out for us to be able to buy the house. Yay. Praise the Lord. Exciting. At some point during escrow, it was weeks in, maybe it was after we'd closed, I don't know, at some point, I'm driving home, and I park under the infernal pink blossom thing, and I go, I'm about to be the owner of this land and everything on it. I used to be in real estate. Chattel property, real property. It's all mine. Yes! I could chop that sucker down. I will have all the rights the minute we sign those papers. I could chop it down. My landlady wouldn't care probably right now. I, I'm about to have rights. This is awesome. Brothers and sisters... I know that you've been told your whole life that Jesus Christ died on a cross because he loves you, and that is correct. It's entirely 100% correct. But there are some other reasons also. He desperately desired the glory of God. That's clear throughout scripture. He saw the joy that was set before him on the other side of his suffering, and that's also true. Do you know one of the reasons that he bought the house of your life is because there were things in your life he wanted to rip out. He went to a cross to rip the dark things out of your mind and rip the dark things out of your heart that are killing you and that are killing me. We look at sin 
like it's our best friend because we've made an idol out of it and it's ultimate and God sees cancer for what it is. Jesus paid a horrible price to rip sin out of your life and you're not going to like it at first. The first two chapters of Hosea prove it. When Israel went off, this is Hosea's language, and played the whore with Baal and Asherah and, and left Yahweh behind, Hosea says that God grew up a bramble bush, this thick, painful bush with pokies all over it so that she could not get to her lovers anymore. God created something unbelievably painful to essentially create a divorce between what she had wed herself to, but what she wed herself to was evil. And God loved her enough, the people of God, Israel, loved the people of God enough to say, no, the nonsense is ending now. Guys, Jesus is a lion, and he is a lamb, and according to Hosea, he is a bramble bush. He loves us enough to separate us from the things that are killing us. So a Christian's body is owned by God, so let's joyfully submit to the fact that he has these rights. He can command our sexual ethic, and we actually want him to. Secondly, another one that I wish I didn't have to say, but it's very important. God designed sex for one context. God designed sex for one context. Look at verse 2, chapter 7, verse 2. As much as he's advocating for celibacy, he says, but because there's so much sexual immorality, he's talking about in the culture, what you guys are, what's going on what you're, in, in your own behavior, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. Do you see how he doesn't feel the need to create this long argumentation? He's able to almost assume it. Sexual sin is unthinkable amongst the people of God, so of course you marry. Otherwise, other places in Scripture, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. What is Paul assuming here? Marriage is the context for sex. Now, he's dealing with people, many in the Church of Corinth, maybe didn't grow up good Jewish kids. The good Jewish kids already knew Genesis. He made it what? He made what? Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them, right? I said it backwards, but... God performs the first wedding ceremony, says be fruitful and multiply, right? Praise the Lord. So if these Corinthians grew up going to synagogue, they at least kind of theoretically already were supposed to know. If they didn't, if they grew up going to the, you know, I'd say Artemis, but that's in Ephesus, you know, the, the Greek gods, if they're worshiping those gods, they might not know. He's teaching marriage is the context for this. The protection of covenant, it protects both parties. There's safety in it for the, both parties. It's safety for children if the Lord blesses the marriage with children. I'm going to use the exact same illustration I did two years ago because I don't have a better one. And I don't pretend you guys remember last week's sermon, let alone two years ago. So there's that. Renault was a professor in college. He's like, yeah, no kidding. Does fire give life or does it take it away? One vote for take. A vote for both. Okay? 
are people who have died because they were lost out in the woods when it was snowy and they could not rub two sticks together well enough. They needed fire just to live. Okay? There are others that to live, they needed a fire to be extinguished. Okay? Or, let's, let's delve into something political. It shouldn't be, but it is. Do guns kill people or do guns protect people? Depends if you're the bad guy. I just saw Bond yesterday. I'm just kind of in an AK-47 kind of mood. Okay. A gun or a flame says a lot about the one who wields. The character of the wielder is what determines everything. Evil intent or intent for good, right? What is it that you intend to do with sex, Christian? I wasn't asking your personal intentions. That's between you and the Lord. Um, <laughs> but do, don't our intentions change things? Holy cow. Because the culture is discipling us in this nonsense of whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy. What if I need something perverse to make me happy? What if I'm taking my poor Christian wife and saying, honey, I have to look at pornography to get warmed up. We have to. What is your intent, Christian, with sex? What do you want to do with it? Your intent is going to determine everything. Your intent will determine whether or not you put it in the context that God gave for it. Are you going to have sex inside the safe, beautiful covenant of marriage, or are you going to have it anywhere else? Girlfriend, boyfriend, trashy romance novel, porn on your phone, frankly, a lot of rated R movies. I, I, don't, I grew up Baptist, so I have, this, I have this thing about everybody going, don't watch rated R movies, and I had to laugh when in 2004 they made it a rated R movie uh, about the crucifixion of Jesus, and I was like, ha-ha, Baptists, take that. Um, because you know you're all going to go see it. Uh, so I don't, I tend, don't tend to, I don't want to be pharisaical about blanket statement, you know, it's rated R, it's bad, because I don't know how to learn leadership if I don't watch Braveheart. But um, call me a liar. Go to a leadership conference where they don't quote William Wallace at least three times. But a lot of films, honestly, the, the rom-coms that are PG-13, there's a lot of sexual smut in there too, right? It doesn't have to be rated R. There are so many ways in which we are taking this flame outside of the campfire and going, what could possibly go wrong? And we need a spiritual Smokey the Bear to come along <laughs> and say, excuse me? Whoa, 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 whoa. We are a deceived people. We are a deceived people. We think we can take flame anywhere and it'll be fine. Do whatever your heart desires. Third, God desires sex to be selfless. God desires sex to be selfless. So three and four, one more time. This is, these are unbelievably terrifying verses, depending on what's going on in your relationship. But it's really powerful if you're single and you might be married one day, married or married again. Verse three, 
The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. So, do you see how the writers of the Bible didn't deny that you have a need? They're not denying that. There is a physiological need. And it's apparently not one that drives you because our murdered Savior was celibate, and he was more human than you. He was more human than me. So it's not like you can't live apart from celibacy, and Paul is... uh, presumably a formerly married man who's now choosing celibacy. But he's saying there, there are needs, and God designed the husband and wife to meet the needs of the other, not their, their own needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Scary? Say yes. In our broken world, does that send off some, some alarm bells? And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Oh. Guys, fear comes from a power imbalance. Fear comes from a power imbalance. What if a Christian man and, and his Christian wife are committed wholeheartedly to pleasing the other? What if there's open communication and they talk about it? Another blessing I'm going to pass along to you from years of going to Weekend to Remember. They told us guys over, I'm assuming they said the same thing to the ladies in the ladies' session. Um, they just said over and over, guys, your wife is unique. And you cannot manage the marriage bed without communication. You have to ask her. What does she want or not want? What does she need or not need? Think about it. If we took this outside of sex, if we were talking if this verse and said it was about the relationship or friendship or parenting, we wouldn't hesitate at all to go, oh, if we're going to meet each other's needs, heck, let's say one of us needs carbs for dinner and the other needs protein. Right? There's a conversation. Honey, what do you want to make for dinner? Let's talk you know, and then come up with a plan. And yet there is so much shame and brokenness around sex that we become terrible communicators. We become terrible communicators to let our needs be known and more importantly, ask our spouse, what are your needs? What are your desires? And what they were trying to say in that conference is there is not a cookie cutter approach. Okay? Hubbies, I love you. I'm going to be firm with you on this one. No other man on earth is in charge of managing your sex life with your wife, like that's, that's your job, in a way that respects her past history, that respects her fears and worries. No one else can do that for you. Trashy romance novels will try. They'll try to create a fantasy where all of her needs are perfectly met, where she's listened to and loved and cherished. That's a false god. Fellas, the porn on your phone, it's not just a naked woman. It is a false promise that there's a woman out there who finds you desirable and attractive and successful and worthy. There is a lie down beneath every false god. Sometimes there are multiple lies down beneath every false god. Sex was designed by God to be selfless because, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No mo. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? Does not envy, does not boast. Have we ever taken that chapter into the bedroom? Is the love chapter allowed in the bedroom? That's an important question for the church. Is it allowed? I mean, we read it at wedding ceremonies. 
Did it stop? Do you leave it at the altar and then you go off to the hotel or wherever you're going to go and you don't take that chapter with you? So this is what we would ask ourselves in the marriage bed. Is this patient? Is this kind? Am I envious of past relationships? Right? Guys, if we have sex before marriage, we're, we're dragging junk. It doesn't mean that the cross isn't powerful enough to heal. Am I envious of past, past relationships when we get into the bedroom? Is there any kind of boasting or arrogance or selfishness? So I guess, since we're at the end of the sermon, that's going to be my call to you. If you're a Christian who's married right now, my call to you, my specific call to action, I want to ask you to sit down with your spouse and have a Bible study. I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to try your best. I know there's so much hurt. I know there's defensiveness. To try to take a deep breath and say to your spouse, honey, what are a couple of things that you need from me in the marriage bed? What are a couple, or fellas, let's be honest, we're a little hard-headed. It might need to be said like this, honey, what are a couple of things you've been trying to tell me for years? And I just haven't heard you for whatever reason. I really, really want to hear you. If you are not married right now, here's what I want your call to action to be. I want you to get together with friends that you love and trust that really love Jesus. And I want you to open 1 Corinthians 13, just like your married friends are doing. And I want you to, to, line by line, I'd love for you to study and pray and say, God, what are the lies of the culture that have already infiltrated my mind and heart from what I've taken in that is so diametrically opposed to this chapter? God, would you purify and renew things in my brain? Would you renew things in my heart now while I'm still single? Or maybe you're single again. And God is cleaning and purifying things inside you from the past. Chapters 6 and 7 are a lot of don'ts, and Paul is right. Chapter 13 says this is what you do. This is what love looks like. So ARCF Foundation, I want to ask you, please, 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 whether you have a marriage bed right now, whether you're looking backwards on a previous marriage bed, whether there's one perhaps in your future if you hope to be married, give that bed to Christ. He purchased it with his own blood that you could joyfully celebrate each other's bodies, celebrate each other's souls, pursue oneness that shows Christ's love for the church. There's so much spiritual stuff going on in that bed. And the world has told you otherwise. The world has told me otherwise. That it's just carnal. Brothers and sisters, the world is three feet off the ground celebrating that they have reached the heights of all of what sex is. And God is telling us that this play structure is 20 feet tall. There's so much more. And he's told us about all the beautiful dynamics of sex. He has hidden nothing from us. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to share some announcements.
Lord Jesus, those of us who are Christians, we really, really want to follow you. We want to be passionate disciples. And in the spirit that you've given us, the new self, we don't want to hold anything back from you. God, our flesh wants to hold everything back. Your scripture says that it has never once pleased you. It's not going to ever try. God, our, but our spirit yearns to put joy on your face as our creator and as our savior, as our, as our leader, our king. God, we seek to put joy on your face. And God, because we believe you've loved us before giving us the law, we believe that your commands are for blessing and for good and for the strengthening of us as individuals, strengthening for our relationship with you, our relationship with each other, the strengthening of marriages. God, we affirm all of this because our flesh disagrees and we fight the lies with the truth in our own minds, in our own souls. Holy Spirit, you know every preacher's greatest fear is that the sermon ends with the closing prayer. And my request to you, Lord, my request is that you will bother the saints in the room until they have wrestled with 1 Corinthians 13. Bother them, bug them, do not allow them to binge on their next show on Netflix, do not allow them to get distracted with the dishes and the cleaning. The same way that Boaz saw something that was broken and Naomi knew he would not sleep until he had settled the issue. God, make us a people that today will wrestle with your truth and ask ourselves, how can we make sure that sex honors our father and blesses our spouse, provides a good example to all around us for what we do and do not participate in? God, make us a light into the dark world. Thank you so much, God, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that there is no sin more powerful than your cross. Thank you that you've got a future and a hope for your people. So God, allow us to walk in victory as we allow 1 Corinthians 13 to have its way. Lord, because 1 Corinthians 6 has broken down some things that needed to be broken. We thank you for who you are in the great name of Jesus Christ. God's people said, amen. A few things for the family before we go. First of all, the same as last week, thank you so, so much for your proactive signups. Um, Pumpkin Blast is next week. We're going to have a good time. And most of uh, the game signups, for those of you who are going to come and help run a game and, and serve kids and, and their families in that way, most of those were already filled when I came in this morning and looked at it. Thank you so much for that, guys. Um, I was made aware that we had a couple more volunteers that we need, so I added there are a few blanks left, so please, by all means, get back there so we're not frantically running around next Sunday trying to make it work. Um, this year, if, if you've just come to ARCF 
in the last year, I apologize because you're not going to know what this is. But if you've been here in the past, and you know, it was what used to be called Family Fun Fair, we would hand out candy at the booth, at, uh, at the game. So they do this and they get one piece of candy, two pieces of candy. Um, this year, we're doing it Chuck E. Cheese style. So when you run a game, you're going to be handing out tickets. And there's going to be, is it going to be in this room? I forget what we ended up. It's going to be in here. There's going to be a prize booth, Chuck E. Cheese style, where they can spend more tickets to get the really big prize or fewer tickets to get the really small prize. Kids love that stuff. And Sherry and Summer and perhaps some others they've recruited have, have put in a lot of effort. We're going to have a great time. But for a couple different reasons, namely I think the kids in your life, Sherry and Summer do not need to be stuck behind the, the booth for two hours because their kids would like to enjoy the event as well. Would, would you like for Sherry and Summer's kids and grandkids to get to enjoy the event? Oh man, it just feels so much like you're signing up for something, so you're not going to put your hand up. Here's, here's the deal. I, I'm going to be very specific in this request. If you are not bringing small children, this is designed for kids basically age 2 to 8, if you are not bringing small children next Sunday night, I want to ask you to please get back up to the sign-up table. We just need two friendly faces. That's all we need. The kid comes, they give you 20 tickets, and you're like, oh, yeah, you can afford the stuffed bear with 20 tickets. There you go. Thank you so much for coming. We love you. You know, like, it, it's just not that hard. They're going to give you tickets. You're going to hand them something. That's it. That's it. It's going to be right here in the room. So, and there are one or two other games that still need a volunteer to run it. Um, but please make your way back there. Also, family Thanksgiving. If you don't have a place to be on Thanksgiving Day, Melissa and Jeremy changed that. Because the Connection Center, this building right here behind you, is going to be transformed into a cozy living room, complete with delicious food, great people, and the Dallas Cowboys crushing the Las Vegas Raiders, 34 to 9. That's my prediction. We shall see. Well, I know, I know, I know, because the calf strain, the calf strain, I know. But anyway, I still think Dallas is going to find a way to pull it out. So Thanksgiving Day, if you do not have a place to be, you now have a place to be. If you've got friends, neighbors, family that for whatever reason do not have a place to be on Thanksgiving Day, I want you to bring them. This is an everybody event, okay? The signups are back there. And guys, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Free events are notorious for people not signing up because we want to have our flexibility. Guys, we need to know how much turkey to kill. I'm sorry, cook. We, we need to know. We, we need to know. We need to know. So please, please, please talk with your tribe and decide if you're coming and sign up so we can have a really good guess for food. Um, and then two quick things. Coffee. If you have the spiritual gift of putting the coffee cart away, and I know you do, we're asking, do we still need four, Renault? Or did we get some? Not sure. We need. We ask him to just, if you could serve one Sunday a month, where you socialize like everybody else for 20, 25 minutes after church, and when it looks like the crowd's dying down, you pack up the coffee cart and, and put it in the kitchen. Um, we're only asking for one Sunday a month. So if you say, oh, I can do the second Sunday a month, sign up there and talk with Mitch and Renault. Um, or I can do the fourth Sunday of the month, what have you. We've got volunteers on the front end who are putting out coffee for you because they love you and they love Jesus. Uh, and now we, we just need some who can come behind. Last thing. If you know how to play an instrument or are willing to learn one, I know. See, some of you, you just kind of sunk down because you know you know an instrument. And you like held up your study Bible and you're like, can Melissa see me? Melissa can't see me, can she? Um, right here in this room, there's going to be a workshop for the worship team. 
And if you have even the slightest curiosity of serving in the area of music, please come to that. We're, I'm close in prayer. I'm going to send you off. No, we already prayed. I'm going to send you guys off. Um, those of you who want to socialize, please drift out, because if you socialize in here long enough, we're handing you drumsticks, and you're going to have to learn. And then there's that. Or hand you a guitar or something. Especially media. Do I have it right? Especially media. So if you're an introvert who would like to hide in the sound booth, anyway, um, we have a need for probably at least a couple of good people up there. ARCF Foundation, I love you guys. As you pray and you open your Bible this week, please be praying that God would save people because of pumpkin blast, right? We don't give out candy for no reason. We look for a chance to share the gospel. Amen? You guys have a great week. I love you.